218 of the All the Books Show, recorded at my house. Today. In the middle of the streets. Are you familiar with that song? Yeah, it's copyright, so don't do it. Oh, okay. Uh, We talk book news, author news, and literary news. Normally, we record at the David A. A. Howe Public Library, but not today. That's right. My house. We had a special interview today, so we recorded earlier, Mm -hmm. and then an alternate location. I'm Nick Gunning. (laughs) And I'm Eric Mickles. And later in the episode, we're going to be talking to author J.M. DeMatteis about his run, uh, primarily on uh, Joker Going Sane, but we we go all over his his very diverse and extensive bibliography. So the interview was a lot of fun, so I, I think you'll enjoy that when the time comes. Uh, right now, let's talk bookmark. Eric, what have you been reading? What's new? Bookmark. That was a quick dive into bookmark. You want to talk more? Uh, no. <laughs> you want to talk about getting your wisdom teeth out? No, not yet. Okay. Uh, what What have I been reading? Oh, you know what? I we're at my house. I got my Goodreads up and still so still at this time still reading the Institute. Still not uh, floored by it, yeah. but maybe there'll be like a third act twist that Ooh, I'm like, maybe. oh, I couldn't believe this. Maybe Stephen King's best. <laughs> uh, I actually just was talking Pet Cemetery with somebody oh, and yeah. talking about how that was just really dark, and it's kind of funny to think that like the person who wrote the very dark and depressing Pet Cemetery that really like upset you. Oh yeah, and like I read, but it was still kind of like I remember having to just put it down. Yeah. at night. Is still the same guy who writes, you know, the Institute. Yeah. So. Well, Institute might take its turn. It's it's already had a few things where I was like, whoa. <laughs> really? So, yeah. Okay. I'm also reading the Institute. We're gonna next week. We're gonna be talking full on about the Institute yeah. by Stephen King. So we won't get into it much now. Yeah. I'm uh, I, I'm telling you right now that I, I'm not not liking it, but mm-hmm. I'm very much just like okay, okay, right. You know what I mean? I'm not super excited. Yeah. All right, so anyway, I interrupted your bookmark. What else no. you got going on? A lot of X-Men. Just a lot of X-Men. Okay. Uh, same same, th- same, everything I was talking about last time. Okay. So it's, uh, right now, it's the, like, 2016, 2015 books of Uncanny X-Men, Extraordinary X-Men, All-New Wolverine, Old Man Logan, uh, Uncanny Avengers, and All-New X-Men. I should say, the All-New X-Men I'm reading, it's yeah. still the time-traveled original team. Okay. But it's a different writer. It's not Bendis anymore. Oh, okay. I'm still not loving it, yeah. but it's easier to uh, more digest. Yeah. Okay. Um, I need to get back. I really was enjoying that series, and then when mm-hmm. the, the Black Vortex crossover, I, I just yeah. dropped out, so I need to get back into it. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, yeah, I didn't read the Black Vortex stuff, okay. so like Angel having fire wings, I'm just like, what? Did I miss something? It's a cool concept. Yeah. Fire, fire wings. wings. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking... You know what? Okay. I am getting my wisdom teeth out. Yeah, Nick, you are. Nick alluded to it. I'm yeah. getting my wisdom teeth out like this Friday. Yeah. So that's all four of them. Yeah. But today, I definitely need to go get some buffalo chicken wings. Yeah. Because I won't be able to have them for who knows how long. Yeah. Probably not that long. I, oh, really? I feel like you're overblowing this wisdom really? teeth scenario. Well, yeah. you know what? It's my first surgery. Yeah. You're old hat of it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my punch card is pretty much filled. So if I ever need an appendectomy, I just turn in the card. And yeah. You get a free one. Yeah. That's great. Yep. Um, that's Canadian healthcare. That's different. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I finished the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember this. I started this before Christmas last I year. I do remember, yeah. It's only 10 episodes. Yeah. Even though some of the episodes are like an hour and a half or two, two yeah. hours, it's not, it shouldn't have taken me that long. Well, it's heavy. I mean, it the is. Vietnam War is just upsetting. Before Christmas, I had watched like the first five episodes okay. and I was just so depressed. Yeah. And so I just had to like walk away from it and not watch it for mm-hmm. a long time. And even yeah. now I've had to like watch it in pieces. Yes. Yeah. You know, you watch something like World War II, and it kind of puts your life in perspective. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, life kind of sinks right now. And then you watch this, you're like, well, you know, yeah. it could be worse. But when you watch something like the Vietnam documentary, you still think that. But then when you watch the the footage of, like, 
protest going on in the American streets. Yeah. It's a little too relatable. Yeah. And so, whereas... Well, the Vietnam War was so much about the politics yeah. at the time, you know? So it, yeah. that, that sort of transcends. Oh, there, man. There's a separation you have from mm-hmm. World War One or World War Two, where it's like, murky politics are here to stay, the, so... Do we have... Is this something we have in the we collection? We do. We've got right. uh, Ken Burns, Vietnam, and a few other uh, documentaries so, Yeah, so did. if you're local to uh, Wellsville, the David mm-hmm. A. Howe Public Library, stop in and check it out. Or yeah. anywhere in the STLS system, we'll mm-hmm. send it to you. Or your local library wherever you are. I'm, I'm kind so, of a few episodes into the Western Ken Burns documentary. Okay. What a weird life you're living. <laughs> Ten episodes of Vietnam War documentary by Ken Burns and every X-Men title Every X-Men comic I can read, yeah. Okay. That's, well, that's my life. Okay. All right. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, mine is mine is not going to seem interesting compared to that because uh, I, I read Secret Avengers. Mm-hmm. I finished that, which I was reading last time. And that's Secrets Avengers, Secrets of the Ooze? No, that's different. That's the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> uh, but I would be all for a crossover like that. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, this so this was good. I, I enjoyed it. I don't think it really was what it set out to be, like Avengers Espionage. It was just more yeah. a straightforward Avengers story, which was fine. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I it's don't a... know who this Ant-Man is. Oh, it's... The, yeah, there's an Ant-Man who was like a criminal. Yeah, Eric O'Grady was a criminal who stole the Ant-Man okay. tag. I think it was called Irredeemable Ant-Man for a I while. I remember that, yeah. Okay, so, all right. Well, I didn't know who that was. Yeah, so I read that. I enjoyed it enough to read uh, number two. It's never the, like, Avengers Black Ops team no. that, like, it was sold as. No, it doesn't feel like a spy story at all, really. Yeah. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's just the Avengers on Mars. Yeah, yeah. It could have been much. any team. Cool to see Beast back in the Avengers, mm-hmm. thanks to our pal Steve Englehart uh, mm-hmm. from a few episodes back. Yeah. So I read that. I read a book called No Secrets by Mel Gildon, an author we're going to be talking to in the coming weeks. So why is that? Uh, more about that when we sit down with Mel Gildon. Why is that what? Why, why, are, we, why are you bringing up Mel Gildon? Well, because I, I read No Secrets, which you want me to say it's a 90210 yes, novel. Yes, that's what I want. It is a 90210 novel. Uh, I first was familiar with the thought with his author because of his Star Trek work. Right. Uh, I read uh, several of his Star Trek <laughs> novels and then realized that he mm-hmm. also wrote 90210. So basically, mm-hmm. Nick in the 90s, all he needed was Mel Gilden. <laughs> that's so, true. Uh, anyway, we are going to be talking to Mel Gilden in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. So I, I read this uh, I read this now. What were the last episodes you just covered on uh, 90210? Yes. Here we go. Okay, fine. If you want to talk about my side yeah. hustle. Uh, my co-host Kendra and I uh, do a podcast called uh, 9021 Here We Go, yeah. where we go through Beverly Hills 90210 talking about all the episodes. We just did, we just covered episode 10 and 11, which will be coming out uh, mm-hmm. pretty soon. So yeah, we're having a good time <laughs> with that. So anyway, I, I read No Secrets by Mel Gildon, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm currently reading The Institute, still by Stephen King. Yeah. That's my that's my main focus. It's becoming an institute on this podcast, Absolutely. am I right? And I just started, I've been putting this off, but I just started uh, The End of All Things Part 1 uh, of the Robert Kirkman's Invincible series. So I've been reading this series, I mean, since the beginning, I've read them all, and these are the last two collections mm-hmm. of, of the end of the whole thing. A hundred and, I want to say 150 issues, something yeah. like that, in that ballpark. This is this is my all-time favorite series. I love it. Whoa. I've just, I've since day one, mm-hmm. when I picked this first book up, I was totally in it. I actually read Tech Jacket first, mm. uh, which was kind of a, I don't know. It was it was a one-off and it didn't end up getting picked up for, for a series. Right. But um, Mark, who's the main character, is in Tech Jacket. Right. And then Tech Jacket eventually, after the success of Invincible, they go back and revisit those characters. But uh, this is volume 24 of the of the stand mm-hmm. the graphic novels series. Um, and I've really been putting it off because I'm sad to see it go. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading that and Institute. So that's me for Bookmark. Does Invincible like push the Superman buttons for you? Is that part of it? No, I don't think so, really. Oh, wow. I, it's it's so... 
I don't know. Wacky. I, it, it's so unique with its like with its yeah. blend of sci-fi and superhero and gore. It just it is very gory. That's true, but it's it's like almost cartoonish gore. It is, so yeah. it doesn't really it's feel ridiculous. It doesn't feel as upsetting as like normal things would. But I know why you'd think that would surprise yeah. me. But yes, I I love this series. I I'm think, a big fan of this series. I think we were, if you haven't read it, read it. We were read, pretty. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't read it, read it. There we, we were go. like in line for a little bit while reading it together, and there was one where like a character is making out with an ant alien. Yeah, and I'm like. This is weird, yeah, and you're just true. like, I love it! I know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember. Just these bizarre things that really clicked yeah. with you that I would have never yeah. guessed. I know. I don't even know how I came across it. I just stumbled across it one day and really liked it, so turn it over to some book news. Yeah. Look into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. You want to talk about uh, the New York Times bestsellers list? I do, but before we get into that, I'd like to hear that awards theme real quick. Nick and Eric. Do that much because the Nobel Prize in Literature has been awarded. Holy cow! And the winner is Robert Plant. <laughs> no, oh. the <laughs> the um, you, you remember last year that that no there was no Nobel Prize in Literature mm -hmm. due to an internal sex scandal within the Nobel Committee. Yeah, I know, I know. And so um, reading from Time Magazine, uh, they they have announced two winners. So basically, they announced the 2018 winner and the 2019 winner this year. So they just kind of hit a pause. Okay. The 2018 Nobel Prize in Literature has been awarded to Polish author Olga Tokarczuk for a narrative imagination that with encyclopedic passion represents the crossing of boundaries as a form of life. While the 2019 prize went to Austrian author Peter Hanke. Matt Helms, the Swedish Academy's permanent secretary, says Hanke was honored for an influential work that, that with linguistic ingenuity has explored the periphery and the specificity of the human experience. Hmm. So that's coming uh, that's coming straight out of Time magazine, so we'll share that article. Yeah. But uh, So we have two new Nobel laureates, so congratulations to Yay. both authors. And now in the same category as Bob Dylan. No, he did win the Nobel Prize. Yeah, Nobel, Prize, right. for Nobel Prize for Literature. For literature. Yeah. That was a big... Uh, Blows my mind, even now, even now. But yes, let's, let's take a look at the New York Times. I think list. if I was an author... And yeah. I won the Nobel like after Bob Dylan won it, and now I won the mm -hmm. Nobel Prize for Literature. You'd take up the harmonica. I think I'd be pretty excited to like, I won the same award Bob Dylan. Yeah, won. that's true. I mean, now so. now when you ever if you ever run into Bob Dylan at a cocktail yeah. party, you could be like, I won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. yeah. Though I I understand why if you had won the award first and yeah. then Bob Dylan won it, why you'd be a little yeah miffed. Yeah. But now I'd be like, cool. Yep. <laughs> so. Yep. So yeah, Stephen King will now be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, so the New York Times bestsellers list for hardcover fiction. Let's check it out. Let's do it. Number 10, The Giver of Stars. Oh, that's nice. It is nice. By Jojo Moyes. Okay. Author of... Before You and Before After You. Before You, After and, You, yeah. uh, Wish You Were Here. No, that's Pink Floyd. Yeah, you got the wrong yeah. one. Yeah. Winner of the Pulitzer Prize. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, in Depression-era America, oh, that, already that's kind of down, yep. five women refuse to be cowed by men or convention as they deliver books throughout the mountains of Kentucky. Oh, that's fun. Hmm. Number nine, The Ninth House by Leah Badargo. Nope. Badargo. Badargo. Badargo? I'm freaking out. Lee Bardugo. Thank you. Yes. I turned into a rooster there you for a did. second. Yeah, you're a Chanticleer. Young adult author, wrote The Six of Crows, wrote that Wonder Woman Warbreaker. Yeah, I haven't read that novel, but I read the graphic novel that that was... Uh, you uneducated swine. I know, but I've got to say, I really did not enjoy that story. Ooh. So, uh, well, this book, The Ninth House, is an adult book. Mm -hmm. It is after mysteriously surviving multiple homicides. Multiple? Galaxy Stern comes face to face with dark magic, murder, and more at Yale University. Mm. Uni oh my 
Boy. University. And Look, this see, is my third podcast this, of the day. This is you with your wisdom teeth, so I'm just oh. worried about what next week's going to be like. Oh, yeah. Number eight. Wow, this book has dropped fast. The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. Right? I'm surprised that it's still here, honestly. I, I, I didn't think it was going to have staying power. In a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, Old Secrets bring three women together as Republic of... Gileads? Gileads. My wife was on my case about how I was pronouncing it, yeah, so Gilead. I hope that was right. Uh, theocratic regime shows signs of decay. Well, but you you toss theocratic right out there. Good for you. Yeah, this with, time, yeah. With pronouncing things. Great yeah. job. And if you, you're showing signs of decay, you should definitely visit your dentist as soon as you can, mm-hmm. because you might have to visit your oral surgeon and get all your wisdom teeth Once out. Once the problem has started, it's very hard to reverse it. Yeah. You could say that about anything, really. That's true. Number seven, The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. A sibling relationship is impacted when the family goes from poverty to wealth and back again over the course of many decades. Number six, ooh, new this week, Olive Again by Elizabeth Strout. Oh, yes. And a follow-up to the Pulitzer Prize winning novel, Olive Kittredge. This is one of my wife's favorite books, Olive Kittredge. New relationships, including a second marriage, are encountered in a seaside town in Maine. Well, well, well. Speaking of Maine, number five, The Institute by Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Children with special talents are abducted and sequestered in the institution, uh, where the sinister staff seeks to extract their gifts through harsh methods. 300 pages in, no Mr. Sinister. That's true. He hasn't shown up. So that's that's a bummer. Yep. I was really hoping for it. I know you were. You know, if David Bowie was still with us, I would cast David Bowie as Mr. Sinister mm, in a heartbeat. That's very, yeah. Can I help you, Cyclops man? That's my David Bowie <laughs> I answer. Understood. I, understood I think Brian Cranston actually said he wanted to play Mr. Sinister. I can see that, too. Uh, number four, The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. A young man who was gifted with a mysterious power becomes part of a war between slaves and the enslaved. Oh, slavers, slavers and, and the enslaved, enslaved. Yep. yeah. Number three, The Nineteenth Christmas mm. by James Patterson and Maxine Pietro. What Warf. was your nineteenth Christmas like? Do you remember it? My nineteenth Christmas. You're nineteen years old celebrating See, I Christmas. Would, would have been in college. I do. Actually, that was a very tumultuous time in my life. So, oh. yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Oh, <laughs> sorry. That's all right. Uh, I think I got Ultimate Alliance for the PS2. Oh, that's Marvel's fine. Ultimate Alliance. Yeah. yeah. This is so. This is part of the the Women's Murder Club. As I've mentioned before. Anything James Patterson writes with Maxine Pietro, I don't like. Mm-hmm. I've never liked one uh, with okay. this this collaboration. I've only read one of these Women's Murder Club, primarily because this is probably, it, it's neck and neck with David Baldacci, but this is the most popular series in our library. Mm, yeah. If it's a Women's Murder Club book, we better have three copies because people right. just want it. I do not get the appeal of right. these books, but I will continue to buy them for our loyal patrons. Okay. Maxine Pietro, you turn that around, Pietro Maximoff. There you go. Quicksilver. Again. Boy, X-Men on the brain over here. Yeah, I, I wonder why. Yeah. In the 19th installment of the Women's Murder Club series, Detective Lindsay Boxer and company take on a fearsome criminal known only as Loman. Willie? Loman. Oh, okay. Well, Willie Loman? Yeah. Who's that? From Mice and Men. Oh, now maybe. It could be. What if he... That's probably a play on that, I would yeah, say, at least. just shaking people too hard. I guess so, yeah. Wait, no. Willie Loman was not the one who was shaking people. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> Uh, not that the character was just going around and mice and men shaking people. Just happened once. Uh, Number two, Where the Crawdads Sing. Delia Owens. Marsh Woman, Marsh Murder, Suspect Marsh. And this has been on here for 59 weeks, so that's well over a year at this point. It is, uh, it's very, it's readable and approachable, but I Mm -hmm. still think it's a little amateurish. Wait a minute, we're saying Willie Loman. Right. That's Death of a Salesman. That's not a Mice and Men. Oh, he doesn't shake anybody. No, I don't think so. Well, at one no. point, I think he uh, shakes his wife and is like, Stop making stockings! Mm. I gave all your stockings to my mistress! There's a lot of dark things in this. Yeah. 
<laughs> Number one, are you ready? Yes. The Guardians. Not oh, of the galaxy. Yeah. Just the Guardians. Yeah. Maybe of Gahul? Uh-huh, maybe. What was that Guardians uh, one about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny? Yeah. Was it just called the Guardians? Yeah, just the Guardians. Hmm. Yeah. Now, this not, isn't not that Gahul. either. Not Gahul. Uh, this is The Guardians by John Grisham. Mm-hmm. Nick is a big fan of John Grisham. I am a Grisham fan. I, I, hope to, I hope to get back into this because, as you know, I've had a tumultuous time with Grish the last couple of times. Loved yeah. Camino Island. I love uh, Camino okay, yeah. Island. Uh, Colin Post, a lawyer and Episcopal minister, antagonizes some ruthless killers when he takes on wrongful conviction case. Interesting. Yeah. Dark. I'll read it. Yeah. That's it. That's, that That's was number right. one. The Guardians. Okay. John Grisham. Well, he's he's ahead of a lot of players. Yeah. He I is. mean, Stephen King, that New Testaments book. Well, where the Crawdads and the, James the, Patterson. Yeah. The thing with Grish is that he he really sticks to a schedule. You know, I mean, mm. you, you're gonna get like a Grisham a year. He's mm-hmm. not polluting the marketplace with a million co-authored books. He's, right. He's not. I mean, he does have his his Theodore Boone uh, Junior series, but I think he keeps those very separate. Yeah. So. Like, I think a Grisham publication is still an event, and that, that formula is working for him, so mm-hmm. I hope that he sticks to it. Now, the man of the hour, J.M. DeMatteis, is going to sit down and talk with us. So this is this is one that uh, we have going sane in our collection. It was one that we'd both read, and we got to, we got to talking about it, and we, we reached out to the author, and he, he was quick to respond and say, yeah, he'd love to sit down and talk yeah. with us. Uh, then with travel schedules and things, we had to shift it around a couple of times, so we're so pleased that this interview's happened, so let's uh, sit back and, and listen to our interview with J.M. David Davis. All the books presents Author Spotlight. This morning, Eric and I are joined by author J.M. DeMatteis. We're going to be talking to him about his work, uh, Joker, Going Sane, and work through his whole back catalog, which is pretty exciting, I've got to say. So uh, thank you for joining Happy us. Happy to morning. be here. We thought, since Joker's in the news right now with uh, with the big movie, and it's sort of what everybody's talking about at the moment, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, the story you wrote called Going sure. Sane, uh, which, which deals with... Um, well, the Joker finding sanity once uh, once Batman's out of the picture. So could you just talk a little bit about how that came about and uh, how you got going with that yeah, story? Yeah, that story evolved over quite a bit of time. Originally, I don't know if people are familiar with a story I did called Craven's Last Hunt, but that's that story sure. actually started as a Batman pitch. And the original idea was that Joker appears to kill Batman, bury him alive. And then what was going to happen after that, since Joker has now completed his life's work and killed Batman, his mind snaps. Well, if our minds snap, we go insane. Since he's insane, his mind snaps, and he goes sane, and he creates a, mm-hmm. he creates a normal life for himself, and, and so on and so on. And I pitched that to DC, and I, I think the reason at the time was they were in the process of developing the killing joke. And they thought oh, okay. there were some similarities, which there really aren't between the two stories. So mine got shuttled right. aside. So I went away for like a year, and I rejiggered the story and came back throughout the Joker, put in uh, Hugo Strange, and they rejected my story again. Um, <laughs> and at the time, this, this is like, uh, it must be 84 or something like that. The, the reason they rejected it was because they were only doing like one Batman graphic novel a year, you know? <laughs> so oh, it was like, okay. the answer was, we've already got our graphic novel for the year, try again next year. Then in the meantime, wow. you know, it's <laughs> past, and I went and I did Craven's Last Time, but I always had this idea in the back of my head about the Joker snapping and going sane. So, you know, flash right. forward to the 90s, 
and uh, DC had a great book called Legends of the Dark Knight, which was basically standalone stories where you could jump at any point into Batman's history. Um, so I right, yeah. so I pitched them the basic idea for going sane, along with uh, asking Joe Staten uh, if he would be interested in trying it, and 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 we were off. And and, and it, it remains in terms of stories that I've done for Marvel and DC mainstream superhero stories among my you know two or three favorite stories that I've ever done. It was a chance to take the Joker and shine a very different kind of light on him because yeah. most of the story he is not the Joker. He is this sweet, mm-hmm. innocent nerdy guy who's obsessed with old radio and old movies and silent comedians and he meets this woman Mm -hmm. who lives in his apartment building and they fall in love while while batman has a whole separate story going on and (laughs) and it becomes this great tragedy because he believes that batman is dead and once batman returns and this is right after he's asked this woman to marry him so he's on the verge of this wonderful life and uh he snaps back and uh, yeah. that that is that is uh, the tragedy. But and, meanwhile, Batman has another story where you know he's re- in in essence questioning his own sanity about being Batman in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so you know a lot of people think it's just about the Joker going sane, but by the end, it's about Batman getting rooted in himself and not you know and realizing that he is grounded, he is sane, and he's doing the right mm-hmm. thing in Batman. Right. Sure. So it's it's it's, it's really yeah, it's, that I'm, I'm really very proud of still. Yeah, well, we both enjoyed it, and it's got a lot of it's got a lot of these nice little details, like as you mentioned with with Joker having his obsession with you know the early days of, of comedy and all that. I really like that touch because I thought you know when you think about like vaudeville and, and comedy of that early era, it's, it's so big and garish and outlandish that it it makes total sense that the Joker would be inspired by that <laughs> right. sort of thing. So is that right. kind of what you were playing? Yeah, with and there? and you know Chaplin and Keaton and all these classic clowns yeah. because he is right. he's a clown. He, you know, you know, there's, he's played a lot. But, you know, the great thing about these characters is that Batman included, you can tilt them a lot of different ways, you know. And I like mm-hmm. the Joker, not just as a psycho, but as a psycho who's playing out the role of a comedian, you know. And so it made perfect sense to me that he, he would love these comic comedy icons. He would idolize them, you know. Mm-hmm. There's and Joe Staten did some great stuff. There's a scene I think early on in the movie theater where he's doing some terrible things, but on the screen behind him, we have a Charlie Chaplin movie uh, playing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joe yeah. did a beautiful job with. And it's just, it, you know, mm-hmm. and I am also a fan of those same things. I love classic movies and classic comedy and, and old radio from like the 30s and 40s, um, which I discovered years ago when my local NPR station started playing these old radio shows and I fell in love with them. And it just made sense to me, you know, and, and that he met this woman that they would, you know, they're in contemporary day, they'd be sitting around at night listening to like a 1948 recording of a Jack Bank mm-hmm. radio show, you know, um, it just seemed perfect to me. Well, you've mentioned Craven's Last Hunt. And so the Spider-Man story, Craven's Last Hunt, and then the Batman story, Joker going insane, they both involve the villain winning or at least thinking that they've won. Right. Uh, what is it about that theme that you, it, you explored it with multiple characters. So what, what about that theme attracted you? To you know, it? in Craven's case, he actually in his own mind, at least he really did win because he, you know, right. he, he, his goal was not to, to, to kill Spider-Man. It was to, 
it was to bury him alive for those weeks so that he could then go out and prove that he was a better Spider-Man than Spider-Man was. You know, right? He didn't. Yes. <laughs> he, he wanted to. Bo- he wanted to kill him and essentially let him know that he w- had been killed, and that not only that, right. I'm better at this than you are, which of course he wasn't. Sure. You know, uh-huh. you know. So it, with Craven, it's more a question of 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 his ego involved in that. You know, with Joker. Mm-hmm. It's a much more, which is funny, a funny thing to say with a character like that, but it's a much more tender story. Um, mm-hmm. okay. And it was a, with Joker, it was a chance, you know, to look at that at that dynamic and the fact that without Batman, would the Joker even exist? You know, Craven mm-hmm. will go on to be, you know, well, and in a way, actually looking at it, discussing it now, I never thought about it. In a way, it is the same thing because once Craven thinks he's one, and I hope this isn't a spoiler for a thirty-year-old story. He takes his own sure, yeah. he takes his own life, you know, because right. he's complete in his insane mind. He thinks he's complete, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the threads that that's important in that Craven story is that it is also a story about inherited mental illness. His mother died in a mental institution, and his last words mm-hmm. before right. he kills himself are, "They said my mother was insane." So there were some people when the book came out that thought somehow we were glorifying suicide, and that was not what it was at all. It was very <laughs> clear in in our minds creating the story yeah. that Craven, well, this is not a well human being. You know? right. But so yeah, there are you know I never really thought about the similarity in the themes other than the fact that they both came out of the the same original idea, you know this original right. Batman idea, and then I one one sprouted off and became Spider Man, and one sort of mm-hmm. took its time and then became this other other story and it's interesting because they are two or two two of the best stories i've ever done and they do share similar themes <laughs> and yet what's what's wonderful about these characters is you can play with the same themes but they play out so differently because the characters right. in their worlds are different peter parker is not bruce wayne and and right. the joker is not craven for that matter if, if batman's gone what happens to the joker that's a pretty obvious question that you'll have to ask but why craven i guess for spider-man because he's he's got a plethora of villains uh and a lot more personal villains than craven so why why did craven become the the villain for this last hunt story Craven became the villain by accident actually <laughs> um, okay i had another villain in place you know because i the second time i had pitched it to dc with batman and i had <laughs> i had hugo strange in there another classic batman villain. Right. And so when I was developing the story at Marvel, I had been hired to to write one of the Spider-Man books. This is before we decided to to run one story through through all the Spider-Man books um, with Craven. And I thought, oh, why don't I create a Marvel Universe analog to uh, Hugo Strange? So I created this new villain, and the editor loved the character. And honestly, to this day, I don't remember anything about it or or who he was. <laughs> and one day, I always say, these are, the, okay. these are the days before the internet. So writers had to really work hard to find ways to waste time and avoid work. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I was sitting in my office and I had a stack of comics and that stack was uh, the handbook of the Marvel Universe. So I was flipping through okay. it and I came across the entry for Crip, who was a Spider-Man villain who I had zero interest in. Never was never a favorite character of mine. I mm-hmm. always thought he was kind of goofy, mm-hmm. this guy with his leopard print pedal pushers, <laughs> you know, hunting right. Spider Man. <laughs> and yeah, and Sonny Bono vest. Right. That's exactly right. His Sonny Bono vest. Not a lot of people will get that, but I certainly get it. And, <laughs> and um and there was just this throwaway line in there which I don't think it had ever been in a story. I have a feeling that whoever was writing this entry in the Marvel Universe handbook uh, just made it up. Uh, and it said that Craven, <laughs> Craven was Russian. And, you know, one of my favorite mm. writers, uh, a, a high, a very high in my pantheon, is, is Dostoevsky. You know, devoured him as a teenager, reread him as an adult, Brothers Karamazov, Crime and Punishment, The Idiot, all these great books. And so I read that, and, and I suddenly clicked into Craven 
through the lens of the Russian soul, that sort of Dostoevskian split, that passion, mm -hmm, the duality, mm -hmm. that whole thing. And it was like in a flash, it was like, oh, I know who this guy is. And I threw out the other <laughs> villain that I'd created, and I called up my editor and said, it's going to be Craven. And he was like, but I like the other guy. You know, I said, no, it's going to be Craven. <laughs> and then, you know, Mike Zeck right. was involved in that story as well. And, and we needed a character to kind of draw the contrast between Spider-Man and Craven. And so I reached back to when Mike and I were doing Captain America together and pulled out a character that we created together called Vermin and used, brought him into the story. And mm -hmm. Vermin came into the story. You mentioned dealing with Craven and his mother and then that, that whole process. Yeah. You, you go a little deep there with, with the mental illness aspect of that. And I'm wondering, how do you approach that? As, as a writer like what, what do you think the responsibilities there are when, when you when you're talking about something serious like that you know because there's there's ways to do that where it's just like oh this person's crazy isn't that funny or or something right. like you did where where you make it you know a, a serious issue well you know when i approach any of these characters especially these characters that have been around for a long time at that you know craven's been around even longer now but at that point this was the late 80s he's been around since the 60s and I look at these characters, and my first question is always, why? You know, mm -hmm. why do they do what they do? Why does this guy put on his Sonny Bono vest and his leopard print <laughs> pants and decide he wants to hunt down Spider-Man? What is in his past? And wait a minute, he was in the jungle, but he's Russian? And, you know, so that just gets me going. And I say I like to, you know, saw off the top of the character's head, get a flashlight, and start rooting around inside and see what made this person this way. And so in exploring Craven's psyche and coming up with my own answers as to why he was the way he, he was, that's where the backstory with his mother and the inherited insanity and all that came from. Okay. And so I just sort of follow the characters, you know? It's not like, oh, I'm going to do a story about mental illness or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to story, story about this person. It's a person, you know? They're, they have to become, as a writer, they have to become real to you they can't be a character they have to be a person and and how does your perspective in your approach change when you're when you're coming from a villain's standpoint versus a hero because i know the ones we've mentioned of course but also your two-faced crime and punishment right. the larflees run i mean you, you do a lot with villains looking at them from a very like sort of a, a more humane approach like looking at where this is coming from so what is that like for you when your protagonist is really the villain. Right. You know, well, as, as many people have said before me, in the villain's mind, the villain isn't walking around thinking, hmm, I'm a villain, you know? It's like, you know, in sure. the early days of comics where we were the brotherhood of evil mutants, they didn't think of themselves right. as evil yeah. mutants, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, we're evil. No, you know, you know I'm sure there is some truly warped soul out there who, who embraces the idea of being evil, but I think most people that do evil things in their lives do not think of themselves as evil. So really, in a lot of ways, the approach to the hero and the villain are exactly the same. And it has to be exactly the same. You have to approach them mm -hmm. with people. And, in, and in, in a weird way, in order to understand them, you have to approach them with compassion and understand where That's they right. came from and what it is that made them the way they are. Nobody is completely evil. Nobody is completely good. We all contain all these different things. And on one hand, in exploring the villains, it's a way to explore ourselves and our own darker impulses, mm -hmm. the parts in ourselves where, God, if I would have taken one step to the left that day, I could have done something mm -hmm. I might have really regretted in my life. You right. know, except these guys, right. these guys, they take that step. And, and, and they go over that line. And then once they go over, they keep right. going over it. And maybe in their mind, there's not even a line there. And they, they're doing it, you know, because they think they're doing the right thing. 
um, for whatever well, reason. I think what and I think what's what makes Going Sane such a successful story is that you know you're really you're really looking at two different characters when you're looking at the Joker. You know, That's because as you said, he's a different person for most of this, and you know. I, I came to be like rooting for that person, you know, like I wanted, I wanted that person to succeed. I wanted him to like leave that behind and move on and be happy. And so, you know, that, that I think gives it a real hook to the story. So is that kind of what you were, is that what you were playing with there? Yes, giving you this absolutely. Kind of a tease you of, want the reader to care yeah. passionately about the character. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's the point of doing that story if you don't care about what the Joker has become, if you don't care about him building this life and falling in love? And, and you know, what's interesting about the Joker is, is despite this movie that's just come out, there's never been a definitive origin story. Origin, of who yeah. yeah. he really is, you know? We know he's some guy who fell in a vat of acid, but who was he before that moment, you know? And, and that's what's so interesting about him. So I, I don't claim, even in the story, that that who he becomes is who he was before. And if anything, who he becomes is perhaps who he wishes he was, you know? And you want want to care about him so that moment comes when he snaps back. And and there's a a shot of him at the end, uh, back in Arkham Asylum, laughing like a loon. And it's supposed to be heartbreaking because he doesn't know. He doesn't even remember what he's been through, but you as the reader, you know. Right. And somewhere there's this right. woman sitting alone weeping for her lost love, you know? And mm-hmm. um, and you want the reader to feel that. And, and the same thing with Craven. You know, you, 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 you want the reader, by exploring the character's psyche, you want the reader to care about them. I always say, you know, before I did that story, if someone would have said, hey, we're going to do a story and we're going to kill off Craven at the end, I think a lot of readers would have said, yeah, so what? So the trick mm-hmm. is, over those six issues to make the reader care passionately about that character. So the moment comes when he dies, the reaction has to be, oh my God, they killed Craven. But don't do this. I love that character, you know? You want people to care. You have to, or else what's the point of writing the story in the first place? You know, it's not just about plot. You know, plots come and go, but, you know, it's it's the people that we care about. Well, then I also have to ask, because you mentioned, uh, you know, there might be some characters out there who are, you know, just evil and enjoying being evil. You don't then consider Joker in that category. Well, you know, the re- I guess one of the reasons for that story was, you know, to just write the Joker as the whack job, you know, mm-hmm. is fun up to a point. But for me as a writer, it's it's a very uh, near point, you know. Right. To just is that's why you know there's there's a I don't know whether they've developed him over the years because I'm not up on the stories but you know certainly back in the 90s we had Carnage in, in the Spider-Man books, and Carnage right. was basically yes. portrayed <laughs> as just unfettered lunacy and violence and brutality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not interesting to me. After you know you you know you can use it here and there as a symbol for certain things that are you know wrong in all of us. It's it's the embodiment of our own worst impulses or whatever. But after a certain mm-hmm. point, if there's not a person there to explore, for me, now other people might right. find those characters fascinating and find ways to really make that gripping. For me, it it, it mm-hmm. just doesn't. After a certain point, it doesn't work. Even you know, when I was writing Captain America, and you had the Red Skull, who was certainly as much of an embodiment of evil and depravity as you were going to find. Right. I wanted to explore and see what his backstory was. So I created a backstory that we had never seen before that, you know, doesn't make him as the Red Skull. Um, you don't you don't uh, oppose what he stands for anymore, but you have an understanding, you know. And for me, that applies to life. That's the only way we can get around in life. You know, it's so easy, especially these days when everything is so divisive, 
to divide the world mm-hmm. into heroes and villains and good guys and bad guys. But everybody, you know, everybody has a backstory, you know, in comics mm-hmm. and in real life. We all have our backstory. And the people that are twisted and doing these really awful things are also people. And it's really hard to forget that. It's hard for all of us. It's certainly hard for me to forget that when I'm seeing something political on TV <laughs> and yelling at the screen, you know? But that, right. you know, yeah. if I can find the heart and soul in the Joker or the Red Skull, then I hope I can find the heart and soul in the people I may oppose politically as well, you know? And, and it, applies, right. it applies to life across the board. I've noticed going back through, there, there's there's a depth to your stories where you, you seem to find this sort of existential crisis or... Um, you know, they just, they often will go in, in ways that as, as a comic book reader, I'm not expecting. So I always kind of enjoy that because, um, you know, they, they go a different route. Sometimes they just get downright trippy uh, in a fun way. And I'm just wondering, like, is that something that you that you like to pull out of stories? Yeah, you know, we don't do, you know, in the beginning, we, we don't, whatever themes, you know, all, all writers, all artists of any, in you know, in any uh, art form have their themes that obsess them, you know, and, mm-hmm. and in the beginning, it's not conscious, but they just kind of come spilling out of us. But, you know, for me, it's always about the search for meaning on some level. Mm-hmm. Who am I or who are you? You know, why am I here? Why are you here? And, and it's, it could be the psychological search. It could be an emotional search or it could be the more cosmic spiritual search. But those mm-hmm. are the, you know, th- those are the main themes that tend to run through everything I, uh, I do. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I want to under- un- trying to understand these characters that we're talking about is a way of understanding myself and my place in the world, not just Craven's place or the Joker's place or Batman's place or Spider-Man's place, but myself. You know, and as a writer, all these stories are therapy. We're all, you know, I always talk about, you know, when I wrote Craven, it was like a really, really, really rough time in my life. And I think it's one of the reasons why that story has continued to resonate because all the pain in there was really real. And and in a way, the three main characters, Peter, Craven, and Vermin, were all aspects of my own psyche and struggle. Now, I wasn't thinking about that when I was writing it. I only see that Mm -hmm. looking back, you know. but, you know, in a lot of ways, writing is therapy and a way to help me understand myself and my place in the world and also to express my ideas about, uh, to, to steal a phrase, life, the universe and everything, because those are the mm-hmm. things that interest me. You know, who am I? Why am I here? You know, what is the meaning of this? Is there a God? What is reality? Who am I? All these big questions, you know, <laughs> and they are they are right. they are the fundamental questions as far as I'm concerned. You know, other people, they might be motivated by political issues or, or, or social issues. And, and that's great because we all have our obsessions. But my obsessions tend to come uh, from the inside out. It's about our psychology, our emotion, and our, and our spiritual life and, and trying to, to find the answers in there. Yeah, I think the spirituality of it is, I mean, that, that's a good term for it because I, you know, I kept, I kept seeing that thread. And, of course, it's at it's, the it's forefront in something like Supergirl, Fallen mm-hmm. Angel, or, or something like that. We were, we were really, like, going for it. And so it's, it's interesting to know that that's, you're saying that's kind of your way of working through your own thoughts. And right, concerns. and also, you know, sharing whatever little answers I may have found along the way, you know, because... Uh, um, we're all, sure. you know, I, I am as passionate a reader as I am a writer. So I love reading stuff that I feel like illuminates my mind and nourishes my soul in some way. And if in some way over the years my stories have done the same for some somebody else out there, some other passionate reader out there, you can't ask for anything more. You know, the, those moments when uh, I get an email or a letter or I'm at a convention and someone comes up to my table to tell me, hey, this story really impacted my life in a profound way. 
uh, made me see the world differently, helped me through a really difficult time, it opened my spiritual inner eye in some way. You can't ask for anything more than that as a writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very powerful. Uh, were there specific stories you read growing up that you know inspired you to then write those kinds of stories as well? But, well, you know, all the writers that I really love impacted me that way, whether it's Dostoevsky or Ray Bradbury or J.D. Salinger or Kurt Vonnegut or just, you know, the, the spiritual readings I've done over the years, whether it's, you know, reading about Hinduism or Buddhism or Christianity or whatever it is, you know, um, all those things resonate in my heart and soul. And, they, you know, then there's the flip. Do they, you know, or do they, I always ask this question about the things in our lives that excite us. Did they influence mm-hmm. us and create us? Or is there something in our souls that we know that we respond to in that work? Do you know what I mean? Are you responding mm-hmm. to those themes in somebody's work because those are the things that excite you to begin with? Or does reading that work make those themes excite you? Do you know? It's, it's an interesting right. thing. Uh, I wrote an essay some years ago about The Twilight Zone, which when I was a kid, uh, and I still love The Twilight Zone. I think it's the best TV oh, yeah. series yeah. ever yeah. as far right. as I'm concerned. <laughs> but you know i was watching those shows when i was like six years old and mm-hmm. and my view of the universe hmm. is a very kind of twilight zone view in the fact that if you look at the twilight zone yeah. one interpretation is that the universe is alive that we interact with it and that it has things to say to us and sometimes it it, it enlightens us and sometimes it kicks us in the ass you know and and <laughs> so did i as a six-year-old did i respond to that uh, because it was it was imparting to me a view of the universe that excited me, or was there some place in my soul where I had that view of the universe and seeing it, seeing it in the twilight <laughs> zone made me go, ah, that's mm-hmm. truth, and that's the kind of path I want to follow. And you know, I think the answer is probably both things. But I think we come into life with certain truths that we know, regardless, and we respond in art mm-hmm. to to things that illuminate those truths and help us to see those truths that we already know and then ex- they, through the art they expand them and deeper them and help us see them from different viewpoints it sounds like connecting with your audience is is a really you know a, a rewarding thing for you and a lot of um why you're into this could you tell us a little bit about your the writing workshops sure. that you do your, your sure. imagination sure workshops? it's called imagination uh, 101 and we also do a 201 I don't do them as often as I'd like to. I started doing them, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, and I have one coming up in November. It's the first one I've done probably in a couple of years. But a few years back, I was I was doing a, a little talk at the Museum of Comic Art in New York City, and in the course of the evening, talking about my career, you, you end up having to verbalize things that you do intuitively as a writer. And I suddenly realized, you know, after doing this for so long, there's a lot of stuff I know, you know? And I, and I would love... <laughs> To share that, you know, to take what we just spent, you know, two hours just talking about in a random way and focus it into a weekend and to reach out to people um, the way that certain people reached out to me when I was starting out in the business and shared their wisdom with me. And it's it's a great thing. And I, I'm sorry I don't do them more, but I'm really looking forward to the one in November because people come in and, and you know, I, I, like in the in the workshop coming up, I think I've got people ranging from like 20 years old to 60 years old who are all creative mm. in some way, who are all looking for something to sort of light that spark and and help them move forward in some way with their creativity. And so it's a, it's an entire weekend. We start on a Friday night and go through Sunday afternoon, and it's intimate. I try to keep it to at most like 10 or 11, 12 people at most. You know? Okay. And we have a great weekend together. And and I in part. Uh, whatever wisdom I have, but in, in 
in dealing with questions that come back at me and and having to form opinions and and express things that I've known intuitively for years, I end up learning so much in the course of the weekend too. And we all really get to know each other in a nice, intimate way. It's a great weekend. And and, um, so we have room for maybe one or two more people. Maybe we could squeeze them in. So if anyone is interested, you go to my website, jmdmateus.com. You go to the workshop section. The information is there. There's an email address that you can write to me uh, through that email address, uh, which I can guess I can. It's Imagination Workshops, plural, Imagination Workshops at gmail.com. And I'll send you the information. And uh, it's in Kingston, New York, which is about two hours north of New York City and an hour or so south of Albany. And uh, okay. I, I've literally had people come from all over the world. I got somebody coming. I was amazed from Australia to take this class in November. Yeah. Oh really? Oh, well, that's, that's quite great. a trip. <laughs> that's yeah, right. Trip. Absolutely. I have to be really well, nice I'm to him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can spread yeah. the word. Uh, I want I wanted to ask too. You know, sticking with the topic of of connecting with readers and that sort of thing, have you found technology has changed the way that readers are able to sort of follow you? Because I know when I was a kid, you know, if there was a story that I liked that I found, you know, in a dime box or something at the comic book store, and I wanted to read more by that author, it was just sort of well keep digging through the box and see if you right. see that name pop right. up again. But now with, with Marvel Unlimited or DC Universe, it's it's much more easy to find an author you like, put it in there and, and just read the whole thing. So have you found that that's changed the way people are approaching well, your work at all? the change I think is even more than that. It's, it's that through social media uh, and the wall between creator and audience is paper thin now, you know? And, yeah. and that could be a bad thing, but for me, I found it primarily to to be a very good thing, so that people can reach out to you. You know, I remember being you know being a kid or a teenager, and I'd read some some comic book story or or, or read a novel, and I would write a letter. You know, it was and of course mm-hmm. with comics, it was that was part of the whole magic of comics was the letters page, and you'd yeah, write yeah. a letter, and maybe it would get published, and maybe they'd answer you, and that was very exciting. You know, I had a right. bunch of letters published <laughs> to Marvel Comics back in the day. You know, and. Or, oh, or that cool. you know, when I was a little bit older, and I, I read uh, Dandelion Wine for the first time, and it touched my heart and soul so much, I had to write a letter, Bradbury, and lo and behold, he wrote back, and that was just the most amazing thing. Oh, wow! But now, you yeah. know, through Twitter, through Facebook, people can just reach out, and uh, and I can reach back, and we can talk to each other, and I think that's a phenomenal thing. You know, yeah. I always say a lot of people have the you know talk about their negative experiences on Facebook. Um, I could count those on one hand, if not a couple of fingers. I find primarily that if you put out something positive, you'll get positivity back. I know I see certain people mm-hmm. on, on Twitter or Facebook that seem to uh, actively enjoy getting into arguments with people. You know, oh yes, yeah. yes, we're familiar with those people. Someone says yes. something negative to them, and then they retweet it, and they comment back, and they get into a whole thing, and uh, <laughs> you know, and 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 you know. God bless them. You know, there's a, maybe there's a reason why they're doing that, and and it works for them. It doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work for me. First of all, I don't yeah. want to put out that negative energy, nor do I want that energy coming back into my life. You know, there's a, right. for me, there's yeah. enough negativity in the world that I want to <laughs> keep it positive. You know, that's why even getting into political things, and I'm fairly passionate uh, politically, but I'm I'm very careful about what I put out through Twitter or Facebook that, mm-hmm. that plays yeah. into politics. Because I don't need an eruption of insanity and negativity. You know? Yeah, certain things <laughs> yeah. it just may be. I may feel it's so important that I need to put it out there, but but I'm, yeah. I try to be careful about. It. Yeah, right. well, it's it's a powerful meeting medium yes. in both negative and positive yeah. ways. Yeah, and so. there you know, and there are people out there that, as we see, 
who just love. They just, they just. It's like mm-hmm. it's like um, remember that old Star Trek episode, but that spinning light that was feeding off hatred. The Klingons and the yes. and the Enterprise are on the ship, and they just keep getting them battling, and it's just feeding on it. And it seems like there are certain mm-hmm. people that just feed on that negativity, so that they just wait yep. for someone to slip up, so that they all come swarming in and can tear that person to pieces. Like why? Why? <laughs> you know, it goes back to what we're yeah. saying about the villains. It's like you know, we need to we we. we we need yeah. to have, have more compassion and view these mm-hmm. things. We all make missteps. We all mis- make mistakes. We all screw up. Um, and I certainly screw up as much as I succeed, if not more so in my life, you know. Um, but, we, you know, we have, to, we have to bring a little compassion to the table. And I say that not as someone who's an expert at it, but someone who at least strives in my life to, to try to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's that's the story on that one. <laughs> well, thanks so much for talking to us this morning. I, I, before we let you go, I, I wondered if you could if you could give us a little preview about maybe what you're working on right now or something. Yeah, you have yeah, sure. Upcoming. Well, I, I know you've been doing more with animated yes, DC I'll movies. Yes, I'll get all the plugs things. in. Uh, in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of it. comics, the projects that I'm working on right now, I can't really talk about. But uh, what recently completed and came out is a, a book I did for Karen Berger's new line of Dark Horse uh, Burger Books, a series called The Girl in the Bay. It's sort of a supernatural time travel search for search cool. for identity is a big theme in there um, story, um, and it just came out in a collected edition. I'm very very happy with the way that came out. And IDW recently put out a collection of another uh, new series that I did called Impossible Incorporated, which is sort of a Doctor Who meets Doc Savage meets the Fantastic Four cosmic. You know, also going back to a lot of the themes we're talking about, exploring the universe, what does it all mean, what is reality, and all these these, these big questions right. within the context of big cosmic adventure. And in terms of the animated work, um, what just came out, which I'm very proud of, that there's a there's a Wonder Woman animated movie called Wonder Woman Bloodlines, and I wrote, I wrote yeah. a short. It's the first appearance of Neil Gaiman's death character, I think, in any other medium. And oh, so wow. it's a it's a 20 minute short with with Neil Gaiman's death character, uh, beautifully directed by uh, Sam Liu, uh, and I'm very very proud of that. And coming coming up next year, there's also an Adam Strange short. I wrote a, a, a an animated movie that is an adaptation of the classic story Superman Red Sun. That'll be out probably in the first half of the year. Yeah, and, yeah. Exactly. Um, there will be on uh, the CW Seed, which is a CW streaming platform. A couple of years mm-hmm. ago, I did an animated Constantine series for them. Uh, now I've animated right. series with uh, the DC character Deathstroke called Deathstroke Knights and Dragons. And that first appears mm-hmm. episodes on CW Seed. And then eventually, with added footage, it'll be released as a full-length movie on DVD and Blu-ray and streaming and all that. And last but not least, I've got a couple of episodes coming up on Marvel's uh, new Spider-Man animated show. The first one, I think, should be on within the next month or so, and then another one with oh. the next season in the spring. So a lot of stuff. A lot of variety. Yeah, a lot of variety. And what's <laughs> nice about this this death story, too, is that it's very, very different than any other DC animated project that I've seen or yeah. worked on. <laughs> And that, yeah, yeah. Well, with that character, it and it's not fighting, and it's not dropping buildings. There's, there's none of that right. going on anywhere in the story. It's like a nice little talking about the Twilight Zone, a nice little twenty-minute Twilight Zone episode, featuring, mm, featuring yeah. death, and it turned out really, really beautifully. You just name dropped a whole bunch of characters that you're mm-hmm. working on. Is there is there any other characters that are on your to do list? Have you gotten to all the ones that you used to dream of writing when you were, uh, you know, a comic book writer, or are there still some that you got to get your hands? I think on? I've written. Especially when you include the animated work from, you know, I think I've written just about every character that I love. But one thing I've been saying this for years that I would love to do with Keith Given and Kevin McGuire is do the Fantastic Four with those two guys. 
I think, you know, I think we would have a blast because there, you know, there is that humanity and humor to the Fantastic Four. There was always a, a thread yeah. of that. And then that big cosmic adventure and those two things together. I think yeah. we would have a great time working on that. And, you know, then there are characters that I love that I would always love to revisit, whether it's, you know, Doctor Strange or the Silver Surfer or any number of DC's mm-hmm. supernatural characters that I love so much. Um, Swamp Thing, you know, all, all those great characters. So, so yeah, right. they're, 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 you know. The great thing about about doing this is that once you sit down and engage with the story, something magical happens. You know, you connect with the story, you connect with the characters, and sometimes it's with characters that you don't think you have any connection to. I didn't, you know, I didn't really know that much about Deathstroke before I took on this series. You know, but then I read some stuff, and then you start to write it, and you 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 start to understand again these characters as people, and off you go. So sometimes it's the character that you're not even that interested in. That gets you really excited. Then that's the yeah. fun of it, because it's like getting to know a person. And you go, Oh, oh, this person mm-hmm. is really interesting. Oh, I want to know more about this. Right off you go. So there's always some new door to be opened and, and whether it's an original idea or an old character, there's a you know a, a, that's the fun of what what I do. It doesn't matter how long I've been doing it. Each new project, I always say this and I really mean this seriously. Every time I sit down to write on something new, it's like I've never written before. You know, <laughs> facing a blank page. And yes, I have certain muscles and certain skills that I can bring to bear, but there, it's always brand new. You know, there's a uh, when I took uh, Tai Chi, I, I learned about a concept called a beginner's mind, where you approach everything as if you've never done it before. And that's, you know, keeps you innocent and it keeps your imagination mm-hmm. open and and as a writer, you're always doing this. It's always beginner's mind. You're always starting with a blank page and something new. And that's why, you know, I'll keep doing this forever. There's no reason to stop. Well, good. We're all for okay. it. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> Thanks again for your time this morning. We've really enjoyed this conversation. I have to. Thank you so much. He mentioned Star Trek there for you, too. He did, you know. So, and I... you, you mentioned Sonny Bono. He yeah. mentioned Star Trek. Yeah. Like, do you remember it. that scene in the Star Trek show? I'm like, yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we really appreciated him taking the time to sit down yeah. and talk. He's got some great stuff. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you haven't read his stuff before, like I said, we have quite a bit of it in our collection. We can always get you the thing that you're looking for if there's mm-hmm. something that we mentioned in the interview that you'd like to see. Uh, excited for all his upcoming work coming out. We always yeah. have the DC animated movies in the collection, so mm-hmm. keep an eye out for those coming forward. But again, thank, thanks again to author J.M. Mateus for talking to us here yeah. today. Let's talk to some library news. Okay. Teen night, every Wednesday, 5.30 to 7.30, uh, ages 14 to 18, but we'll make some concessions for 12 to 14. That's nice. Uh, November 1st, we are showing the live-action Lion King movie. Uh, Just put live-action in quotes. Yeah, all right, the CGI animated Lion King movie that's basically like a bunch of celebrities getting drunk and... Yeah, doing doing a reading of the Lion King. Doing a reading of the Lion King. Not a fan. I've listened... I'm actually shocked by how much I didn't like John Oliver singing the Zazu parts and I Can't Wait to Be King. I know. I was I was shocked. I know. It's just because everybody else in the animated movie was just doing exactly what they should have yeah. been doing. Yeah. You can't... I know. Well, that's <sighs> how I felt a little bit about uh, Ewan McGregor in Beauty and the Beast. It's right. like, Jerry Orbach's nailed it. Yeah. You, you can't... You yeah. can't improve on it. Just accept it. Do not envy who is ever going to be singing um, the uh, Under the Sea. Oh, Little yeah. Little Mermaid. Yeah. I kind Will Smith kind of gets away with it a bit because well, he he's... he does his own thing, he's, at least. Yeah. Will Smith know. has... A, a style yeah. of singing and rapping that he he's done before. So when he's doing that, it's like, oh, this is Will Smith. Right. Even though I miss all the Robin Williams stuff. Sure. Yeah. But like when you're just straight singing, Will it, Smith didn't reference the Marx Brothers even once. Not even once. Yeah. He never said ever impressive. Yeah, I know he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe right. it. I'm losing yeah. to a rug. Uh, so so book clubs 
we're we're gonna do our World War Z talk this week. So if you enjoyed if you enjoyed our conversation uh, with Sally last week about World War Z, you can join us for a book club on Halloween, the thirty first. The thirty first. Hopefully I'll uh, be there. Thanks to everybody who came to the play this weekend. We had a great time doing that. Uh, upcoming in the auditorium, we have Judy Cook is coming back with a fun historical presentation about ghosts. Ah! Always fun, always popular. Just scared me. Always like to have Judy Cook in the house. Uh, and then after that, Creek Bend Band is coming back. Mm. The, these these guys, I mean, they're the favorite. They're the favorite of our right. crowd. So looking forward to that. You can keep an eye on davidahowlibrary.org uh, for dates and upcoming events there. And I think that's going to do it for this week on the All the Book Show. Sure sounds like Thanks it. Thanks again to our guest, J.M. Day Mateus. We'll see you next time when Eric doesn't have wisdom teeth. Mm-hmm.